children hurt and you hear them crying Then you practice what you preach And what you turn the other cheek Father, 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 help us Send some guidance from above These people got me, got me questioning Where is the love? afternoon everyone this is community justice talks you're dialed in at 106.9 on the radio fm dial this is uh, k-h-e-n salida you can tune in worldwide online as well at khen.org community justice talks is a conversation every week at 1 p.m mountain time for one hour where we discuss options and alternatives to the current traditional system and how it's integrating in uh, resolutions towards justice. We know that conflict is something that happens in our lives and has for as long as humans have been on this planet. And we have a choice as to how we respond. So welcome today. It's uh, a great honor today to have a couple live guests with us from our uh, Full Circle Restorative Justice Program. And I'm going to be talking with them and introducing them, actually, in just one moment. But before we do that, I'd just like to say a few more words about this program and how you can get involved. In the future, we're going to be welcoming live call-ins so that we can be more interactive with you. So that's going to be something that's upcoming this fall. That means it'll be a call-in show. We also are integrating archives from the past three years that we've been live online as a telecast broadcast, and we're implementing a podcast of every show. So if you miss it live and you are interested in accessing archives, you can do that. Uh, you can do that at our main site um, that's separate from the KHEN site, but linked to it, and that's restorativejusticeontherise.org. Again, that's restorativejusticeontherise.org. Right now, you can check out iTunes podcasts of Michelle Alexander and our conversation with her about the new Jim Crow, Arun Gandhi, and nonviolence and justice alternatives. And, you know, when we say alternatives, we're talking about working with people who are in the system. There's a lot of people, as noted last week, Uh, with our conversation with Officer Greg Ruprecht from the Longmont Police Department, that uh, this is not an attempt to try and change the the actual system itself. It's actually offering ways to improve upon what we're already doing and address things like the school-to-prison pipeline and the fact that we house over 25% of the world's prisoners, even though the United States is less than 5% of its population. So again, welcome to our show, and I want to just make a quick announcement here relating to Full Circle Restorative Justice. They are going to be holding a fundraiser, which is going to be held on October 11th, and we're going to hear more about that from Andrea Blocker in just one moment, but just want to make an announcement that the venue is Benson's Tavern. That's Saturday, October 11th, 2014, from 5 to 8 p.m., and the live band is Flynn and Company, and they offer a really lively bluegrass um, experience. So please make sure to mark your calendars, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. So anyway, it's uh, an honor and a pleasure to have two 
very dedicated members of Full Circle Restorative Justice with us today. And that would be Patty Latai, who is executive director. Program director. She's the program director. Okay. And Andrea Blocker. Yes. So w- what a great welcome to you both. Thank you. for And, having and what's your official title, Andrea? Uh, executive director. Okay. All right. Great. So we're going to talk today with both of them about the programs, the specifics, and get into the nitty gritty a little bit about what restorative justice entails. And I think I'd like to start out with you, Patty, if you don't mind. I know you've been working this on the ground for a long time, and you have experience with nonviolent communication. You've done extensive trainings um, in circle processes and uh, probably some recent trainings, too, integrating other modules into how you serve our youth here in Chafee County with Full Circle Restorative Justice and other programs, actually, that I've mentioned a couple times on this program. So um, start out by sharing a little bit about how you got into this field and uh, you know what, what, what inspired you. Okay, Molly, thank you again for having us here and being able to share some information about restorative justice. And speaking from my personal background, I've been working with youth at risk for about 23 years now in various different capacities and helping develop different programs such as the um, Family and Youth Initiatives Youth at Crossroads program. And actually that is how I found my way to restorative justice and that was through a scholarship that was awarded um, to Youth at Crossroads basically um, to have me develop a um, Oh, what would you say? Uh, working on anger management skills, learning to communicate interpersonal skills. And um, I was invited to attend a 10-day intensive training um, down in Albuquerque where the founder of nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg, actually gave um, the training assisted by other certified NVC, nonviolent communication trainers, And we were able to meet and learn and connect with individuals from all over the world who wanted to um, basically further their knowledge and be able to share um, alternatives to violent communication or communication as we know it tends to be somewhat violent. And there's um, different ways to approach and to phrase um, things that we want to express in a way that people would be willing to hear them and not react in defensive or hostile manners. Mm -hmm. And during that 10-day training, there was one day that was dedicated to restorative justice. And, you know, having worked with um, young people, and I had actually mentored one specific young man that um, had been involved in a type of crime, and he, it was actually a crime of property, and it turned out, um, against his friend, and who was an adult, and basically there was a no contact order in place, and he um, wasn't able to be in touch with his friend at all, and he had a really difficult time, like not being able to apologize and to say he was sorry and or to do something to make it right. He was just limited in contact, and um, and so. In thinking about that, I, I thought, you know, I understand why that 
contact orders and no contact order is in place, but there needs to be something that would support a level of forgiveness and repair uh-huh. in relationships. What, what's your sense of the need to um, really convey cause and effect um, and the, the comparison between tr- perhaps the traditional justice system and uh, a restorative system cause and effect meaning the supporting the victim if they're wanting to and willing in showing the impact that something had and and uh, likewise in the what we call the offender seeing that impact and also being able to perhaps if it's appropriate share what their life circumstances have been that perhaps might have underpinned the the choices that they made that caused that impact Right. There is a level of understanding and empathy that um, the restorative process is, is based on. And it's uh, about that human connection, kind of humanizing the system, our justice system, and, and meeting a victim's need for justice and understanding, as well as meeting the offender's needs for um, having the ability to um, own up to what he or she has done, taking that accountability and be able to take steps to repair the harm, which in that case helps the individual move past the shame involved, Uh which is really pretty key to what this program is about. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Patty. It's great to have you guys live with us in the studio. We're talking with Patty Latai and Andrea Blocker from Full Circle Restorative Justice, which is an extraordinary local program. If you don't know about it, you ought to check out fullcirclerj.net for more information. So Andrea, it's great to have you with us. Um, and I know that you have an exciting fundraiser coming up before, but before we talk about that, let's talk a little bit about Full Circle Restorative Justice and exactly what it does. Can you tell us about the programs, about uh, the history, anything you'd like to share about FCRJ? Sure, absolutely. Thanks again, Molly, for having us on the show, and Kahan, we're so excited that you are doing these uh, every weekly, one to two on Tuesdays. So thanks again for having us. And um, so uh, just a little background uh, about me, because I do not have a restorative justice background like Patty, and I think we complement each other very well mm-hmm. with this uh, program. And we are a 501c3 a nonprofit organization. And um, I came in last December and took some training and really enjoyed the people, the cause, and got involved with the organization. So I'm very excited to be uh, on the team and um, really trying to grow the business side of the program. Um, Before you go in further, I want to stop you there, if you don't mind, because one of the things that's fascinating to me about uh, everything that's happening in justice and and, uh, improving our systems are people that may not know much about um, programs like restorative justice and practices. And I think you mentioned that you offer a perspective kind of, so to speak, from the outside. What, right. what's in, what, what did you see and experience um, in your first understanding of a restorative process? Uh, Very good question, Molly, because actually I do, I have a different view because I think restorative justice means a lot of different things to different people. Um, And for our program here, we are such a local community program for, we serve the 11th Judicial District, which is four counties. It's Chafee, Fremont, Park, and Custer counties. And um, our restorative justice program is really focused on the youth. Um, We we do have, uh, you know, some people seldom are off 
often over 18, but most of probably 90% of our cases are under 18 years old. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, so for me and our program, uh, Full Circle Restorative Justice, uh, really is about, um, as Patty had said, uh, the victims' a chance to get the uh, harm repaired to them and face the offender in a victim-offender restorative conference session. And they do that by uh, professional trained certified mediators such as Patty or some of our wonderful volunteers. And they sit in a conference for, you know, probably an hour and a half to two hours and talk about the the actions that they caused harm on the victim and what the victim requires to repair that harm. And an official contract is written up that they literally have to fulfill that contract within a specific uh, time, and that's the offender has to complete that contract. And the victim and the offender both agree on it, and it's, so it's a it's not set up for failure. We want everybody to, to succeed in this uh, whole process of the victim-offender conference. And um, at the end, basically, uh, you know, you see uh, all kinds of emotions and feelings come about because um, offenders usually that are youth don't realize the harm they caused create could create or typically creates ripple effects in the community or within their family members. Um, so it's it's a really, um, it's a great cause and it's a great program. And that contract is a contract that is followed up on um, with accountability circles to make sure it's completed successfully. Now, um, that's one of our uh, things we offer, which is victim offender conferencing. And um the way we get those referrals varies. It can come in from um, the, the DA's, assistant DA's office, the courts. Um, it can come in from uh, a store owner if they have caught uh, somebody um, stealing or um, in their store or some kind of crime. Um, it can come in from policemen. It can come in from schools. So our referrals vary, um, which, which really varies on the extent of how we, you know, what the contract is going to fulfill. So Sometimes it's legal where the district attorney says you you get restorative justice or and or you could get, you know, prosecuted with, you know, uh, or get diver- diversion probation, depending on the age. So there's a choice point right. that happens. Absolutely. Who makes that decision exactly? Is it a collective process or is that made by the DA or who makes that choice? It's it's a well, it's. It's a collective process. It uh-huh. depends. Now, if, it, if the DA can make that uh, choice, if it gets to her, it can also, the cops can decide not to take it to, uh, to the DA and say, okay, victim, you know, Mr. Store Owner or victim, wh- do you want them to have RJ? So it's a lot of it's up to the victim as well. The vi- victim says, yes, we want them to uh, ref- go to the uh, go through the RJ process, then that's where, where you know, the victim can decide. And what, what if a victim is feeling uh, naturally resistance to meeting with their offender what are there are there options for the style of how a process happens or does it have to look just one way Oh, no, absolutely. And I'll let Patty expand on this. But basically, okay. the um, the a lot of times the victims are too upset and emotional and do not want to be involved in the process. And we'll have a surrogate victim or, um, you know, uh, surrogate victim basically act out that uh, role because a lot of times the victims do not want to um, participate. But Patty, do you want to expand on that? Well, Go ahead, Patty. Thanks. It's just the understanding that the victims will actually have a voice in this process. So... A lot of the work that we do is community education in trying to, you know, actually convince people that restorative justice is not an oxymoron, okay? So there is a restorative piece should the victim so choose to follow that path. And 
when the victims are aware that they not only have a better chance of um, seeing true justice in that they will actually receive um, uh, restitution um, quicker, usually, because once we've connected the offender and the victim, there's more buy-in by the offender. And so if um, even if there's a level of... Um, trepidation that the victim might feel ahead of time or nervous about that. Um, we have a pre-conference where um, myself and a trained volunteer will sit down and explain the process and how this would work and, and help them reach a point where they feel um, that it is a positive process and they want to go ahead with this. And most victims do feel they want to get, you know, they want to turn this situation around and get something positive out of it. It's the whole silver lining aspect to it. And, um, We've received very, very high satisfactory um, rankings. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you, you, you're tracking the statistical evidence of uh, of the processes, the victim correct? satisfaction, mm -hmm. and yeah. Do you, do you have any current statistics you'd like to share? I know that there's some powerful ones in Colorado at large, for sure, especially the ones up in uh, Longmont at the LCJP, Longmont Community Justice uh, Partnership. And last week on Community Justice Talks, we were on with uh, Officer Greg Ruprecht, mm -hmm. and he shared with us uh, the recidivism rate is around 8% at this point currently, which is huge. Um, and for, for folks who may not realize, uh, the, the national average of recidivism is 65 to 70%. So that's, that's very significant. Um, decrease. Let's go back for just a second before we take a station pause, um, Patty, and just tell me a little bit more. Tell us, share with us a little more. Uh, if if a victim is not yet ready to meet in person, are there other ways that that they can convey what they need to convey and be supported before you know ingradation? Maybe maybe later on down the road they might want to but they're just simply not ready right now to do that. Are there other things that you do? Well, we've encouraged, <clears throat> excuse me, we've encouraged victims to actually write a letter. Okay. And explain sort of similar to what a victim impact statement is. Um, we've actually met with victims uh, a number of times and to see where they're at a point where they might be willing to, to go ahead. We've had victims actually assign other individuals to act as surrogates. Um, but then they have the ability to discuss with the person who was truly impacted and get a good feel. And we have actually had some very successful circles using a surrogate victim in that case. Uh-huh. Okay. Great. That's so helpful to know the specifics because I think that a lot of times hearing how it actually works um, is very helpful for everyone involved. And as, of course, this program, um, the foundation is the fact that <laughs> conflict and crime are a constant part of our human experience. And we have a choice how to respond. And right now in the United States and Colorado actually is considered one of the leaders in our country of providing an integrative format with the existing systems as Patty and Andrea are talking about today with us from Full Circle Restorative Justice, which is based in Salida, but is serving Chafee, County's, Chafee County and otherwise 
Is it four counties, ladies? Yes, it's uh, also Fremont. Um, okay. And we're not really, uh, we don't have the support and staff yet to, to cover um, Custer and Park, but that is part of the 11th Judicial District. So Great. if we did get a case, um, you know, we would be happy to try to cover that. Okay. All right. And uh, when we come back, we'll we'll be talking more, of course, with Andrea Blocker and Patty Latai from Full Circle Restorative Justice. But let's take a quick station pause. You're dialed in to K-H-E-N-L-P, Salida. That's 106.9 FM on the dial and K-H-E-N-K-H-E-N.org online. You can stream online from anywhere in the world. You can also access the podcast and recordings of this particular show, Community Justice Talks, at restorativejusticeontherise.org. You can access over three years' worth of archives uh, I've mentioned before, including um, people who have name recognition in the field and people who have equally important experience in the field, like our guests today. Everybody's doing incredible work to try and address the current modern problems and uh, provide solutions. And this one, of course, today that we're talking about is restorative justice. So I'd like to make a community announcement right now, and that is that the International Student Exchange Program is seeking local host families for boys and girls from a variety of countries for the upcoming school year. Students are 15 to 18 and are conversant in English and are academically selected. Please call Cindy at 1-800-733-2773 for more information. Tonight, there will be a great event that uh, is called the Respectful Revolution Project. That's going to show stories of people doing inspiring things. And that's again tonight, 5 p.m. at the Plowboy Local Foods Market and Tasting Room at 311 H Street. Filmmakers Gerard Ungerman and Stacy Ware have gone cross-country on their motorcycles for three years collecting video portraits some of them from Salida, and this is a free event open to the public, 5 p.m. tonight at the Plowboy, the Respectful Revolution. You're listening to Community Justice Talks, and I'm your host, Molly Rowan Leach. Today we have two uh, exceptional in-studio live guests, Andrea Blocker and Patty Latai, representing Full Circle Restorative Justice. Full Circle Restorative Justice is with the 11th Judicial District of Colorado and the FCRJ Youth Program and Action Adventure Opportunities. They've been serving the Salida, Buena Vista, and Canyon City communities since April 15th of 2009. FCRJ was founded in 2006 by Diane Walker, and restorative justice is based on a theory, as we've been talking about with Patty and Andrea, of justice and a global social change movement that endorses peaceful approaches to harm, problem solving, and violations of legal and human rights. So it's just a pleasure again, Andrea and Patty, to have you here with us. Let's get back into the conversation and talk a little bit more about uh, this fundraiser that's upcoming, Andrea, and then we'll get back into some more stories, success stories and whatnot. Okay. All right. Great. So tell us about the fundraiser. Uh, yes. Um, the fundraiser is October 11th, and um, the venue is uh, at the Benson's Tavern. And really want to thank Brett and Dwight for um, hosting this for us. And um, right now, we have uh, 
a band scheduled for um, out of Denver, and they're called Flynn and Company. You can look them up on Facebook, and uh, I think they're bluegrass, kind of folksy, and um, really good. And we will be charging uh, $20 a ticket, if advanced tickets. If you'd like to buy, you can go to our website and um, send us an email, and that will include door prizes and entry into the, the music scene, as well as um, some appetizers, which we're, we are looking for, by the way, still donations for appetizers and um uh, and door prizes. So, and and this fundraiser does it? Do you have specific goals that uh, you'd like to raise right now? Or? Um, yes, <laughs> I, would, I would like to say um, a couple million. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we would. I would really like to raise at least five thousand. Um, I had set the goal too high at the last fundraiser, so I don't want to. Um, I, I want to make the goal this time. So I, I would say a five thousand uh, minimum, and that Kay. that goes toward our general operating expenses. Um, as as everybody knows we, we depend on the, the community which is awesome and and the grants and things like that to fund uh, salaries and expenses and things like that so um, but yeah we're definitely still looking for um, for donations on door prizes and appetizers and some also uh, keg donations for um, for the event it sounds like a wonderful event yes. again that's Saturday October 11th at Benson's Tavern at 5 to 8 p.m. Sounds like a great live band. I'll, I'll see you there. Great. <laughs> so while, while we're with you, Andrea, um, on the mic, why don't you share a little bit more about the vision? Okay. Because we want to hear not only, obviously, what you're doing now, but what what are the what are the visions and and uh, goals for the next year five okay. years or so with full circle restorative justice? Okay, uh, good. I, I do want to um, finish. I guess when when I first start, started talking about the re- restorative justice for um, the eleventh judicial district, how Great. you know everybody has a different definition of rest- restorative. Uh, justice, what it means to them. And for us, I just want to mention that we only handle petty crimes. I mean, we do not handle, if you go online and look at the actual, um, uh, what restorative justice means and what it can do, it, it's it's a broad range, a scope of range of services it can provide. But for us in our community, we are, we handle just very minor petty crimes. Um, uh, so, you know, domestic violence or anything like that, uh, we do not cover. And so that's one okay. thing I wanted to, to mention. That's really why a lot of our cases are are under 18 uh-huh. you know it's, it's your it's your petty theft or it's your maybe they're out drinking or you know they 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 do some you know breaking cars things like that so our program is very specific to that um to that criteria um the second thing we do besides victor offender conferences is the um uh, the action adventure opportunities that you mentioned. And that's a real key program where we focus on youth opportunities, whether it's provide um, community service for the kids that get in trouble and they have to pay off their um, restitution and, and uh, are, are pay, uh, do community service hours. They, we provide activities for them to do that at. And as far as we know, we are the only ones that can do that within certain counties. And um, so that's key for everybody to know that our we have monthly activities where kids can work off the community service hours. Um, the second um, scope of that is to provide activities for um, under, uh, um, what do you, economically yeah, yeah, economically challenged youth. So where they don't have the money and, and funds to actually um, do, uh, go snow skiing or go on the river um, to show them what opportunities are if, if they could, you know, um, get the funds. So that's the second piece of ag- action adventure, adventure opportunities. So, so you're saying that you're offering 
a lot of different outdoor programs and in conjunction with, with what you're describing here. Yes, we want to do that. So uh-huh. you mentioned about the vision and, and Patty uh, and her, her team had done that in the past. Unfortunately, this year due to lack of funds, we weren't able to do that this summer, but working with diversion, uh, the county diversion um, budget and things like that, we're, we're pretty positive we'll be able to fight, provide a winter activity and a summer activity for this next fiscal year. Wonderful. And that means let's all get out and rally around the FCRJ vision for these programs, which I'm sure at the fundraiser, um, we can take the the time to contribute towards these goals. They sound like great goals. So yes, wonderful programs. It's always great to integrate um, outdoor activities, I think, and programs that that kids can really get into and understand. And sometimes it's even an unlikely way of, of supporting them towards better futures, I believe. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Patty, you have anything to say about that, about the, the vision and what's moving forward? What are you looking ahead for well, at? Specifically to the AA Ops or Action Venture Opportunities. I mean, it was created um, to provide alternative recreational, educational, cultural activities to our youth, which basically gives them a different perspective on what they could be doing, what they may be doing, and, and helping them make better choices. And when... We do have the funding. We do like to provide different activities that can help them develop a sense of teamwork. Um, we actually do group su- supervise group community service, as Andrea mentioned, both in Chafee County as well as Fremont County once a month. And obviously we'd like to expand that and actually expand into more um, experiential learning um, and also uh, collaborative work within the, the groups that um, the teens are a part of. Wonderful. So let's, let's go into perhaps some what we might call success stories of what you've seen in the recent past or, you know, further on um, in regards to the youth. Okay. And before we do that, Molly, I'd just like to mention the third aspect of our program because we Please were talking do. about Thank yeah, you. And so the Victor Fender, Fender Conferencing that we talked about first, and then the second, the Action Adventure Opportunities. And the third piece of our program is uh, is the peer mediation or restorative uh, practices in the schools. And this is where Patty... Oh, good point. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very important. Exactly. And and basically, um, we are getting requests from schools in Salida and BV uh, with, and with Patty's, um, you know, nonviolent communication certifications to go in and do preventative type measures uh, to these kids ranging from elementary, middle school to, to high school. And it is a huge program. And Patty just completed, and I'll let her talk a little more about it, but at a local school here and uh, a three day where she went in and taught them preventative measures and uh, peer mediation within um, a local school here at I think it was fifth to eighth graders. Is that right, Patty? At the Crest Academy. Yes. Excellent. Why don't you want to share a little bit about that? Um, sure. We were invited by uh, Director Karen Lundberg uh, to work with her and um, Jill Davis, and as well as a number of other special teachers, like Linda Q would be for art. And basically, they invited us to kind of help provide a shared sense of communication and skills and basically the same language in addressing conflict and finding resolution in a positive manner. And we were able to have um, precious first three days of school, actually. And, wow. Um, we were there for the afternoons to, to give them a, a kind of a base, of, base knowledge of um, compassionate communication and also how to do what we refer to as connection corner when there's 
um, a conflict between two or three individuals and that need to be resolved with the, the teacher um, being the facilitator. And then we also expanded to connection circles where more individuals, such as a classroom of youth, were involved. And the students um, had an opportunity to have their um, perspectives and their sides of the story brought out so that everyone was heard, which is really, really key to positive communication and getting uh, messages um, heard in a way that is, is constructive mm-hmm. and also working towards, you know, how do we fix this? And yeah, mm-hmm. you're owning up to it. And you know, what, what's the best way to repair the harm? Do, does it shift um, how we listen? Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> what, what ways have you seen um, shifts happen for people in, in the way that they communicate and understand the importance of what you just said being heard? I think teaching empathy is a really key factor in this, um, to be able to listen um, and not immediately jump to judgment or evaluation, to be able to kind of put yourself in this individual's shoes, um, empathy being a respectful understanding of the other individual's situation and what they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of taking away that level of intolerance and judgment and um, asking them to say, you know, this, this individual may have caused this conflict, mm-hmm. but there's always underlying reasons. And, mm-hmm. and basically, in, in u- using nonviolent communication perspective, it's that as a human being, everything that we do is to meet needs. Mm-hmm. So if there's conflict or anger or various um, aspects of uh, you know, violent communication, it's because there are underlying needs that are not being met. And by providing a literacy of vocabulary in regards to feelings and needs, it gives uh, individual tools that they're able to actually communicate effectively and that people can understand where they're coming from in regards to the actions and how they impacted others. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It reminds me of uh, an interview with uh, Leroy Little Bear about three years ago that I conducted. Um, And he was talking about the importance of listening. And he described what happens, you know, typically for a lot of us is that we have tacit infrastructures, he calls them. Tacit infrastructures, meaning uh, a barrier up that is thinking in our own head as other people are sharing or speaking of what we're going to say next. We have things, a lot of uh, mind chatter about the situation, maybe about the other people, about wanting to say the right thing. We have so much mind talk going on that it, it keeps us from really being able to be present with, with the other. And I'm wondering, do you, what are your thoughts on how we, we dissolve the tacit infrastructures? Is it, as you're saying, um, a combination of education and practicing um, what, what are the other elements that, w- that would help people to feel safe enough to bring down that barrier? I think it's, it's what you're referring to, Molly, is connection with an open heart and being mm-hmm. able to understand. Um, and, and I think, really, I mean, they're naturally empathic individuals, okay? However, in our society and what we experience and within, say, the justice system or within the school disciplinary system, um, 
the ability to um, approach an individual that has had some kind of conflict issues is um, we de- we tend to be somewhat defensive of maybe um, more willing to place blame and judgment. And one of the things I say as we start a connection circle is this circle is not about blame or shame or punishment. It's about figuring out why this happened, who it affected, who it impacted, and how we can make it right and to repair that harm. So I think in listening and teaching individuals certain communication skills and, and listening with compassion and empathy opens a heart, opens each other's hearts, and they're able to be they're more willing to share, more willing to accept and, and perhaps forgive. Um, and also to have an understanding of that, you know, inherent in nonviolent communication is that people are inherently good. Mm-hmm. And if you believe that people are inherently good, then it's, it's just bringing this positive energy to this process and trying to react with curiosity of like, okay, so this person is, is acting in a manner that's offending me or has hurt other people. So what's going on beneath here? What, uh-huh. what are the feelings and needs that are, are really showing up here? That's an immense task to ask of ourselves, isn't it? To, to hold the space of what, what's termed empathy while, um, while we might be really triggered limbically. I mean, you know, conflict is a limbic response system that happens in our physicality, right? Right. I just like to add too with the the social media aspect. I mean, I think that's why it's just really key what Patty's doing, um, working in the preventative ways at the schools, because social media has become such a huge impact on these kids today. Um, I love that you're bringing this up. Yeah, because communications, you know, back in our day where, you know, you had to face people and you had to talk with them because there wasn't the emails and the the Facebooks and all that. And today kids have this huge perception of what somebody thinks of them, and they've never really probably even spoke to the person. Person. And so it's that communication aspect that we were all grown up with that you had to had to do. And today the kids can cannot do it. And that's why this program, the peer mediation pieces that Patty offers are just just critical, I think, to to the kids uh, success today. Well, I love I love that you're opening up work with schools. I think that's just extraordinary. And I know at another school here in Salida, there's peer media, excuse me, peer mediation happening, um, where kids have received training. I believe that's either in fourth or fifth grade, but don't quote me on that. Um, one of the things that comes up a lot in the dialogues that we host is uh, a questioning of just how how legitimate a restorative process would be in a school, and given our wonderful teachers are already spending so much time, you know, in in what might be considered a very thankless position and the most important one of all in our world, actually. Thank you, teachers, for everything that you do in Salida and beyond. And yet, some of the things that once a teacher finds out about or perhaps embarks in a training and spends a little extra time is that they begin to see changes happen. And I wondered if if uh, either of you would like to share about some of those changes and what, what results they're seeing. I've seen some incredible transformations with individuals who are provided with the skills to be able to um, express themselves and be able to approach conflict and resolving conflict in, in a positive, um, empowered way. And 
I can tell you one example is when we um, we were invited to have a um, youth on, on probation, so um, individuals who were on probation, juveniles, and they were to be trained in nonviolent communication. And then some of those individuals are actually scheduled to be part of the restorative um, circles, which are the victim offender conferences, as Andrea mentioned earlier. And we utilize NVC, compassionate communication, within the circles. And that's based on empathy and respect and the open communication. And so having an individual, a young man, who was having some major family issues, and this was actually publicized. They did a story in the um, Chapey County Times on, on the, the mother and son who actually um, were part of this circle, and there was a huge transformation within it um, because this young man was actually able to express his um, anger, his upset, his hurt, his disappointment, to his mother, who had also taken NBC classes, and she was open to be able to hear that and to accept that and to want to uh, work together to um, transform their relationship. And it was it was an emotional meeting. Um, it was super positive, and I have to give credit to the um, uh, co my co-facilitator as well as the uh, volunteer community members who are amazing. Our volunteers at Full Circle are just wonderful, supportive, and um, empathic individuals. And so we were able to work with the, the mother and, and the son. And this is not easy work. No, this is not easy So thank work. you volunteers for Full Circle Restorative Justice wherever you are out there today. And how do you get involved, Patty and Andrea, if uh, if you want to volunteer for FCRJ and are even just interested in more information? How, how do we reach you? Sure. You can call our main number, which is 719-539-2366. Um, our uh, emails on our website, you can email us as well, which is um, uh, fullcircleRJ at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. We're always looking for support. And I uh, also wanted to thank our wonderful board. We have a wonderful mm -hmm. board who's all volunteers. And they also um, put in a lot of time and effort into making this program successful. Wonderful. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, Patty, but I, I'm also thinking a lot about um, our, our wonderful school system here in Salida and wondering if there's a, a teacher out there or a school director, administrator who their ears kind of perk up at this conversation today. How do they make a first step um, towards learning more about what is offered by Full Circle Restorative Justice and um, how do they learn more? Um, they can definitely look on our website to have that first connection and send us an email through there. They are welcome to call us again, as Andrea mentioned. Um, send us emails. We um, we are more than happy to answer requests for and hopefully be able to provide support for requests to come into the schools. We've worked with Longfellow. That's the peer mediation program. Oh, okay. That was uh, something that you helped create. That's yes. great. Way to go. Help support Catherine Guthel. She uh -huh. actually created okay. that, and we kind of helped them re-implement that. And then we were able to work with the um, middle school, Salida Middle School, and helping get a peer mediation program up and going there. And we were fortunate to work with the administrators, the principals, um, the counselors, be able to do that, and as well as training in Chafee County 
high school, and we were able to go and do um, nonviolent communication training at um, Horizons Exploratory. Wonderful. So, so could you tell us, uh, those of us who don't know much about how it actually works in a school, um, let's just say somebody uh, in, within a school is really wanting to start the process or start a process. Systemically, I think a lot of times people wonder, well, well, how does that actually look and how do we do it? And so tell us a little bit about how you've implemented things what, and what they look like. So it's basically the implementation of restorative practices in the schools, and it's really kind of customized to whatever the needs of the school community um, are. And so do you start out with the what's working, what's not working conversation? Mm -hmm. And what are you looking for? What would you like to see happen? Um, obviously, many things are working. And would you like to expand or add to to the programs that are in place? And here's an approach that, you know, may work well for your school. And, you know, we're willing to support you in this process in, in, in getting this implemented. And if you're looking for peer mediation, uh, peer mediation in a larger school is an excellent choice to address initial disciplinary measures, okay, at a certain level. And But then if you look at implementing peer mediation in a smaller school, um, you know, with less than 30 students, um, that's a, it, it's not a, the best choice because it, it's it's too small. At peer mediation, you're going to be dealing with your peers who are your best friends, and, and then it's just not an objective third-party um, facilitator. So, um, but Salida High School is considering starting a peer mediation program. I was invited to talk with the student council, the, the school youth leaders, who um, may be interested in, in implementing that program. And Excellent. We would provide training for the individuals to become peer mediators and then support them as their program grows. Um, because it is, I mean, it is a definite change. It's a, it's a different perspective and approach to, to dealing with conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. So, um, and all the training within um, the, you know, nonviolent communication, the training for mediation skills, and just learning about the restorative practices in themselves. It's, it's all new information for many people. And, um, and once they learn about it, I have to say, and especially the community members come and attend a circle, they, they totally buy into it. Because it makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's effective. And that's exactly what Officer Greg Ruprecht said on our interview last week. He said that uh, as a former fresh out of uh, police academy master police officer, he said he was entirely skeptical of restorative justice. And he thought a circle process uh, sounded like something where you would sing kumbaya and hug. <laughs> and then he saw it in action. He saw it in action. He saw that the usual suspects weren't coming back. Um, he saw the, the fact that in the story that he shared with us last week, that lives were saved from perhaps getting cycled into a system of incarceration and recrimination, which we know is the, you know, the aspect of our criminal justice system called the school to prison pipeline. And it's a serious issue that we're dealing with right now in this country. And so Officer Ruprecht became from a, a complete skeptic of restorative justice to a complete believer in it and seeing it. And it's always great to talk with people who are DAs, VAs. Um, we have a VA on our state council, Restorative Justice Council, and you can find out more about the Restorative Justice Council that is our statewide body that is supporting the new law. 
which we want to go into here in just a minute. Um, that's rjcolorado.org. But before we do that, Patty, I want to go back just for a minute to the, the school piece because there's so much there um, to support our teachers again. You know, we have so much respect for our teachers. They're so dedicated. They're working overtime, not just during the school year, but during the summer. We know that. And they don't, they're not making much in return. They're very committed to our children. And a lot of them, I am guessing, get diverted as each day goes by, each week goes by with behavioral issues, right? And they, they spend a lot of time on that. Tell us a little bit about what you might say to a teacher of how a, a restorative process might directly address recurring behavior issues. I know, I know you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but let's be a little bit more specific. Just, it's an upfront investment on their end to learn and, uh, you know, and um, implement, but then what happens? And it, For most cases. Yeah, in most cases, I would say that the the obviously the and idea of implementing restorative practices it's it's kind of a cultural shift sometimes within a school, and so basically what we offer is we say well we we can teach a shared language so that you be able to um, connect in a way that you might not be able to unless you have a process in place, and having a process in place is reassuring and supportive. And it actually tends to fit with most, um, most of the educators that I know tend to want to believe in and give the kids a chance before it reaches the level of suspension or expulsion. So this is, this is what we're offering is alternatives to suspension and expulsion. Because, you know, yes, the kids who may be um, consistently dis- having disciplinary problems, they, they need to, that needs to be addressed, obviously. And if there's a threat to themselves or other school members, um, that's a different level, okay? Mm-hmm. But to be able to offer the young person a second chance to stay in the school community and be connected and change their behavior in a way that's going to be constructive um, and so, like we mentioned, you know, when there was a disciplinary issues um, instead of suspension, is there any way that the individual that we could have a um, connection circle within the classroom um, or the individuals who were impacted? And if we can talk that out and then it's really the community members, the teachers, the offender, the families that are involved, um, the family members, they, they can come up with constructive solutions. I mean, individuals are amazing. I mean, in, as as in a positivity um, approach, I mean, you want to give uh, an individual a second chance, especially with youth. I mean, we all don't mm-hmm. make the best decisions, and when we're younger, we tend not to make um, less healthy decisions than other times. So, what we're working on is, a, um, you know, giving the people the awareness, shining the light of consciousness on it, which is another NVC term. And then, you know, how can we repair this? And we get input from everyone in that circle. And, you know, maybe community service would be a good thing, maybe a letter of apology. Um, And kind of incorporating that so that if there is an issue in the school and in the classroom, then the teacher can be assured that there is a process that can be followed in place that's positive and constructive, and they try that first. And if restorative justice doesn't work, and yes, it does not work with every individual. It works in the majority of individuals. but again, and Molly, you mentioned is what the individuals come in with, you know, and their own backgrounds and their histories. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, basically, you give them a chance, and I'd say that, you know, obviously from the statistics that you quoted, the majority of, of kids will turn this around. Mm-hmm. And then there needs to be no further disciplinary action. And like you were saying, too, you have a high satisfaction rate, and, and that includes victims. Victims, right? definitely. And that's, that's uh, also the case up at the program I referred to earlier, LCJP, mm-hmm. the Longmont Community Justice Partnership up in Longmont, Colorado, as well as many others uh, nationwide, um, where we're seeing significant drops in recidivism, like that 8% that I quoted, in comparison to our national average of 65 to 70. And that's not far off from the county average up in Longmont, where that statistic comes from. The citations for that stat can be found at lcjp.org. Nationwide, again, we have programs that are are uh, growing and budding up from all points, uh, from the northwest to the eastern seaboard, and are showing similar um, progress and statistical evidence of the power of restorative justice. On that note, I would like to just talk a little bit about, um, first of all, even though full circle restorative justice has a, a definitive focus on nonviolent crimes for the most part, I mean, petty crimes sometimes can you know, ver- on beyond the verge, I'm guessing. Right. But um, restorative justice has been proven to even work and be beneficial to, again, with the emphasis on victim interest and, and willingness in violent cases. Um, we can look to the New Zealand juvenile system, which uh, utilizes restorative justice, and and they claim that uh, even in violent cases, restorative justice can be appropriate. Now, like you were saying, Patty, not always, but in some cases, it it is very appropriate, and it's not a, a means to an end either of forgiveness. So, just let that be known as well. That, and do you either have any thoughts on on that point before we talk a little bit more about Colorado and nationwide? And then go into our closing. Just to summarize quickly, as we do explain to the victims and the offenders that in the restorative justice process, we cannot require forgiveness. And we also cannot require an apology. Right. It needs to be sincere and it needs to be organic and from the heart. Otherwise, this process is going to be superficial. And what we ask for and expect and see is authentic honesty. Yes, and I guess the other key factor is that the offender has to admit to doing the crime. I mean, that that's what we forgot to state. I mean, that mm-hmm. we, would, we wouldn't even accept anybody. Uh-huh. They, they, they admit guilt, and, and they, they uh, agree to a joint to try our program. So they're and, accountable for what they've done. Absolutely. That's then, a huge thing. Yes, yeah. exactly. They, the offender has to have remorse uh-huh. and, and be willing to take steps to repair the harm. That's an excellent point. Thank you for making sure we brought that up today. And so, Andrea, I I just want to come back to you for a little bit more before we close our hour today and ask you, again, that interesting perspective that you bring of your business acumen and developing this program and giving it even further legs than it already has. Um, You're doing such great work. And I just wonder if you could talk more about... um, how how you came in, how you found FCRJ, um, what why is it so important to people, the people of Salida and to Chafee County and beyond, and then maybe go out to what you see happening in Colorado. Okay, yes. Um, at, 
I think what I see restorative justice, it's interesting because my view is probably different. And I, when I first came into to, to Salida from a big city, Houston, Texas, you know, it's, it's just a total different um, uh, view of things. And, um, uh, you know, the, the kids and, and people here that are born and raised and, and, you know, as everybody knows, the cost of living here is, is, is very high and, and jobs pay very low. It's very hard for them to see opportunities outside of the, the, the city or state or county. And I actually did some mentoring uh, with um, FYI when I first uh, came into town. And um, it was just amazing that the, the little girl had never even been out of the, the, the county. Um, and so I think with uh, restorative justice in, in you know, the, our, our district, you know, it's it's different because it's it's very it's very local. It's very um, community uh, supported. And um, whereas your bigger cities, uh, they obviously um, have different focuses. And and, and uh, so we really wanted to expand. And I wanted to get Patty out to the schools to do more preventative measures. Um, obviously, you know, the we can get some from the the courts, and uh, that's going to be whenever they decide. But if we can go out and help uh, prevent, um, you know, uh, violent communicate violent um, you know actions and things like that. I think that's where our, our biggest um, bang for the buck is. Great. They, they, they call it uh, catching conflict, con- excuse me, catching conflict upstream, yes. I believe. And what we've been discussing today um, really not only catches it upstream in many cases, but also prevents our kids from falling into that cycle of, uh, of punishment and recrimination. And again, um, as Officer Ruprecht said um, last week on our show, and as we've been discussing today, uh, restorative justice has teeth, what would be called teeth. It does require that accountability. It does require um, an admittance of the harm that has been caused. And uh, the results are just astonishing. The The statistics, the, the statistical evidence is astonishing. So I just want to ask for any closing comments now as we're wrapping up today from Patty Latai and Andrea Blocker of Full Circle Restorative Justice. And I want to encourage you all to please check out their website at fullcirclerj.net. And don't forget the October 11th fundraiser from 5 to 8 p.m. at Benson's Tavern. So any closing comments today before we wrap? Well, I just wanted to express my appreciation for having us on the show and giving us the forum to be able to share this. I also did want to mention, too, that we are grateful to the schools for their willingness to have us to come in. And one of the elements also with the school programs is the idea of um, addressing bullying. And mm. that is a huge That's issue. a huge part that we didn't cover today on our show, but that could be another session. Um, because that is such a big deal. And I know that uh, we have a wonderful person up in Longmont who, who was one of the, the, the leaders of the original movement of bullying prevention, Bever- Dr. Beverly Title. So Andrea, uh, and thank you so much, Patty. Thank you so much for being here and for your dedication day to day. Really appreciate it. Andrea, closing so, comments. Yes, just again, thanks for uh, the support. And I guess just uh, real quick, I wanted to mention that we had been chosen to do, be a presenter at the Senate Bill 94 conference in Vail. And that's a huge uh, opportunity for us to kind of um, uh, show what restorative justice uh, is in, in our 11th Judicial District and actually do a mock uh, victim offender session. So, Thank you so much, Andrea Blocker, Patty Latai, Full Circle Restorative Justice in Salida and much beyond, four counties wide and growing. This has been Community Justice Talks. 
I'm your host, Molly Rowan Leach. Join us next week live again, 1 o'clock Mountain Community Justice Talks on KHEN LP Salida 106.9 on the dial. Have a great week, everyone.